Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's go tonight to 1 Peter and chapter number 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1 tonight, and we're going to just get right into the message and get right back into our series that we started last week about being strong in suffering, being strong in suffering. And of course, we know the book of Peter, uh, written by Peter to many Gentile and Jewish believers, and he was writing to them, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us he was writing to them so that they would know about the strong grace that is in Christ. Christ, and that they might know that grace and be firm in that grace, even though they were going through suffering in times of trial. And uh, so we're coming right back into the message tonight, or the, the passage tonight. And before we get to it, just want to ask you if you've ever known somebody, or maybe you've heard a story of someone who had uh, um, amnesia. Maybe it was just a really sad situation of amnesia, or really kind of a crazy scenario where someone came up with amnesia. Uh, where you just have a, maybe a short-term memory loss or long-term memory loss. I did a little bit of research, and 1953, there was a man by the name of uh, Henry Molazen, and uh, he became known as Patient H.M., and in uh, 1953, he went in for a surgery, and as, after he came out of that surgery, he ended up having an, a, a certain type of amnesia where every day he would forget moments and things that happened almost just as it happened. He would just instantly forget what was taking place or what had just happened, and this would be a, a, um, a staple in his life. Listen, from 1953 to 2008, 55 years this man lived uh, with this, this amnesia where he just forgot the day as it happened. I can't imagine that. I read another story of one patient who under, underwent a root canal, and all he did was underwent a root canal, and when he came up out of that root canal, he suffered from an amnesia that every day after that, for the next few years, every day he woke up, he woke up thinking it was the day of his root canal. Uh, woke up dreading that, woke up every day for the whole, I mean, for the next few years, dreading a root canal. You might know the actor Harrison Ford. In 2015, Harrison Ford was actually involved in a plane wreck, and uh, Harrison Ford in that plane wreck, he suffered from amnesia for the next few months. Uh, it, it took away parts of his memory, and so there was just kind of gaps in his memory where he didn't know, you know, what was going on, didn't remember certain scenarios, and of course, We've heard stories where other people have maybe fallen or people uh, uh, have uh, maybe had a stroke or something like that, and then they literally have forgotten who they were, forgotten who they were for uh, some for months, some for days, some for years, others for decades. And the truth is that many uh, spills, knowing our identity and knowing who you are, it will change how you approach every single situation. I know in my life, for me, knowing that I'm married to Hannah, that I'm the father of Dennis, Lena, and Micah, that I'm the pastor of Moses Lake Baptist Church, knowing those things, it affects what I do. It affects how I live, and rightly so. Why? Because I know who I am. I know what that purpose is, and man, that is going to affect the decisions of it. I believe that's some of the thinking behind what was going into the writing. I, And I want to start tonight by giving you a statement. The statement is simply this. Understanding who I am as a child of God affects 
every area of my life. I'm going to say it one more time and a very simple statement. Understanding who I am as a child of God affects every area of my life. I believe that Peter, in writing to these early believers, was trying in 1 Peter to help them understand their identity. Because he knew that if believers can truly understand who they are in Christ, it will affect how they approach every decision they make. It will affect how they approach the trials that they're going into. And Peter knew this. He remember, remember, he's trying to help believers. And so he's trying to help them know who they are in Christ and understand when they know who they are in Christ, it's going to change how they approach every decision they make for Christ. I want you to see this with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's go all the way down to verse number 13 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. You follow along as I read. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, we read these words. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to, according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold uh, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Again, as we come into this passage, that phrase we looked at just a moment ago, a very simple phrase, understanding who I am as a child of God affects every area of my life. I believe this is kind of an underlined theme that Peter has in this particular portion of 1 Peter. And tonight, I want you to see it with me. The truth is this, that when you and I know who we are in Christ, when we know our identity, when we know what we have in him and who he is for us, it is going to change every aspect of you and I as individuals. And I hope this will help us tonight. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into the word of God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, wherever you are, why don't you take just a minute and give God some permission to speak to you. You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to my heart. Dear God, please speak to my heart today. And then would you make a commitment? Make the commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you, and God, I'll respond to you tonight. Dear Lord, we just want to thank you again for the word of God. Thank you for how it applies into our life. Lord, I'm so thankful that you desire to use your word to shape us, and Lord, I'm thankful that you tell us from your word who we are, how you feel about us, the, uh, the love that you have, the intentions that you have for our lives. And God, I pray that tonight we would see that uh, who we are in you should affect 
how we live for you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we get into the message tonight, that you'd speak to us. I pray, God, if there's someone watching tonight that does not know you as Savior, that tonight they would trust you as their Savior. Thank you so much for what you're going to do. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we come to the book of 1 Peter, again, I said it a moment ago, Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, this man who walked with Jesus for nearly three and a half years. And Peter is really writing the book. Again, you can see it in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's writing it to Gentile believers and Jewish believers who were just going through a time of suffering. If you and I were to characterize the uh, first century Christians, we would have to kind of characterize it with persecution. They were persecuted really uh, beyond measure. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 11, all of the ways that God's people have been persecuted throughout history. But you and I need to know that especially in that first century, man, those first century Christians endured much suffering. It started for them specifically in Acts chapter number seven. Of course, they had the ridicule during Jesus's day and crucified Christ. That's really what started it. But then with Stephen in Acts chapter number six and seven, we find him being martyred. And in Acts chapter number eight, we find something taking place. The Bible tells us that a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus came on scene and he wreaked havoc of the church and he began to persecute believers so that those early believers in Jerusalem began to scatter. Well, the great thing is that God can use suffering or persecution to accomplish some great things. And he did just that in the book of Acts from chapter 8 all the way down through chapter number 28. That early church would take the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the known world. Well, Peter, he was a leader in that church at Jerusalem, and like James, he had a big concern for believers and for those who uh, knew Christ. And so nearly 30, 35 years after that, uh, everything that took place in Acts chapter number 8, we find Peter writing the book, penning the book to the believers that were scattered. As a matter of fact, if you go to 1 Peter chapter number 1, he says, I'm writing to the strangers that are scattered abroad, that are scattered abroad in Pontius and Galatia. And he lists all these places. He says, hey, this is to the people who, they're not really from there, but they're living there. But this is to the believers, to the elect, to the chosen, to the ones that Jesus Christ has redeemed. This is who I'm writing to. That's the word, and you can go read it or listen to the message last week and find out who Peter's writing to. But as you move through the book, you find that Peter is writing for one specific reason. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us, and I'll read the verses real quick. 1 Peter 5, verse number 10, Peter said this, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And he says in verse number 12, uh, I am testifying, I'm writing that and exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Hey, I want you as a Christian to know that even though you're going through some hard times, even though you're suffering, you can be strong in suffering. Well, if you were with us last week, then we were encouraged last week as Peter wrote the principle, the truth that what you got in salvation was more than what you saw in salvation. You see, when a person gets saved, they think that maybe they're just receiving forgiveness or they think that perhaps they're just receiving that uh, reservation in heaven or just, uh, um, they're just receiving maybe the relationship with God. But the truth is, the word of God lines it out for us that when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we get so much more. The Bible does say that we have a reservation in heaven, but it says that it's incorruptible and undefiled and it fades not away. We have a great hope looking 
looking forward to salvation. But not only that, we can rejoice in this life. Why? We can rejoice in circumstances knowing that God is in control. We can rejoice in knowing that, that uh, trials that we go through, they are valuable uh, because the Bible says if need be that you suffer for a while, hey, it might be necessary for you and I to endure uh, some of the suffering and trials that we go through. And so we can rejoice in these things. The Word of God actually says, Peter wrote it, that because of our faith, we can have joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Hey, when you trusted Christ, you got way more than you signed up for, got way more than you saw. And aren't you thankful that the God of salvation said, I'm not just giving you a home in heaven. No, I've got so much more in store for you. And so last week, we found out that what we got in salvation was way more than what we saw in salvation. And as we come to our study tonight, this idea of understanding when we know who we are in Christ as a child of God, it's going to affect the areas of our life. I want us to see why we're saying that. Notice, if you will, the very first word of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. The word is wherefore. Now, no doubt, you've, if you've been in our church for any length of time or in church for any length of time, you know that when you say a wherefore or a therefore, the old saying, you got to go back and see what it's there for. So the wherefore simply is, is Peter writing and saying, hey, because of what I've written, since you have salvation, what, what I'm about to give you is all based upon the truth that you've already learned and already heard. Hey, since the previous information is true, here is what you are supposed to do about it. Now that you know you're in Christ, now that you know you have a reservation in heaven and that you have a great rejoicing and that uh, your reality is things that the prophets and angels only dreamed of, hey, now that you know that you are secure in Christ and that you have a home in heaven with Christ, now that you know you're saved, here's how it should affect you. The truth is tonight that when you and I know who we are in Christ and what we have because of Christ, it is going to change every area of our life. I want you to notice with me tonight from the word of God from the book of 1 Peter in chapter number one that when you and I are saved, salvation, number one, it refocuses my mind. Salvation refocuses my mind. It changes how I think. That word wherefore simply means, hey, because of all that you have. So now, Peter, I've already said this, but Peter is saying, hey, since you're saved, because of that, here's what you need to know. Since you know Christ, here's what you should know. Notice what he says as you look at this. He says, because you're in Christ, you can gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that might seem like kind of a a humorous phrase to us, gird up the loins of our mind. Peter, what are you writing? I mean, I don't, I don't really know all, of, all that that entails, but at that time, we need to know they're wearing robes. They're wearing robes or a tunic-like garment, and so as they would go about, the Bible tells us and history tells us that if they were to go about and uh, needing to be active, they would take that robe. If this coat was kind of like my robe, they would put it between their legs and wrap it up around so they'd gird up the loins and tuck it in their belt, or they'd tie it together. The whole thing was to bring up that tunic or that robe so that they could be active. They would do this if they were perhaps going to uh, go work in, field, work in a field or uh, have manual labor, heavy labor. Or if they were going into, into battle, they would gird up their loins. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, they would do this so that they could have movement. 
They would do this so that they could be able to move about in a better manner, a better way. And it was just, really it was them just getting serious about the job. It was them getting uh, focused in and active about what they were going to accomplish. And so when Peter writes to gird up the loins of your mind, he's simply saying, hey, stop and activate your mind. Stop and get active in your thinking. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get active in your thinking because you're saved. You don't just let your mind go. You don't just let your mind wander. No, as a follower of Jesus, we have some specific things that our mind is supposed to be focused on. You can think of the scripture in Philippians where Peter writes, or excuse me, Paul writes, uh, whatsoever things are true and kind and honest and good and just and lovely, if there be any uh, virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Hey, there's supposed to be some things that are in your mind. Activate your mind. Don't just go through life lazy in your thinking. But then he also says, you need to be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind, but then be sober. The word sober here is really the idea of become serious become serious. Instead of uh, um, having a, a thinking that's all over the place, get serious in your thinking and controlled in your thinking. To be sober, the modern use that we would have would be a very narrow use. We would think of maybe alcohol and not being on a drug or something like that and being sober thinking. But in the broader sense, it means to be serious-minded. It means to have focused in thoughts. Maybe you have a teenager at home or, or a kid, a child at home, and every now and then, hey, hey, get serious. Hey, we're doing something here. Get serious. I know I have to do that uh, with our kids sometimes. Hey, get serious here. Sometimes we'll be sitting down and we'll be uh, doing a Bible time together, and, and uh, you know, I, my mind's the same way. Sometimes we can just let our mind wander, and uh, sometimes there'll be one, I'm not going to tell you which child it is, but there'll be one child that'll just kind of be there and not really there. You know what I'm talking about? Just kind of staring off into la-la land and, uh, and me or Hannah have to, hey, hey, are you with us? Hey, check back in, check back in. And I think the kids kind of rotate who's gonna do it. You know, Micah's like, hey, Dennis, why don't you do it tonight? And Dennis is like, hey, Lena, this is your turn. Oh, no, no, it's Micah's turn. I don't know, kind of rotate through that. Man, we can all have that. Well, this is Peter writing to believers and he's saying this, hey, hey, get serious. Hey, since you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, activate your mind. Think actively, but also think seriously. Focus in. Focus in. Don't let your mind just wander. And then Peter says, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea Peter here is saying, hey, and you can have a, a, a full assurance you can have a full assurance that, that you're going to stand before the Lord. Look with it. Uh, my, sorry, my mind went blank there for a second. I've got Dennis over here making faces at me because I said that about him. It says, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, hey, don't have any doubt mixed in. You can know. You can know of a surety. You, we just covered it. You are saved. So let that thinking control your mind. It's not the kind of that, well, I hope this happens. It's no, you can have an earnest expectation of the salvation. Remember, he wrote about the lively hope, the living hope that we saw. This is what Peter is saying. And so here's what Peter is challenging the reader to have. He's challenging the reader saying, hey, since you're saved, it should change how you think. Well, how should I think? Think actively, think seriously, and then think confidently. Think actively. Don't just go through life allowing your thoughts to happen. 
No, instead, have directed thoughts. Don't let your mind just wander through the days. No, you need to focus your thinking upon the Lord because you know you're saved, and so you can activate your mind, almost turn it on. Hey, I'm going to think about the things of the Lord. Think soberly. Think seriously. Hey, know that life is not a game. Know that there is more going on than meets the eye. I was speaking this, uh, this, uh, today, this afternoon with Pastor Paul, uh, of course, our church planners that we support up in Vancouver, BC, you pray for them. And uh, man, they're going, going through a lot of different challenging times, getting back to service and all of that. But this morning during their service, Pastor Paul was preaching about spiritual warfare. And he said, you know what? We're in a spiritual warfare. I was preaching on that for just a second. And right then, all of their live stream and, and different things all shut completely off. Finally, they got it back on and most of the church was commenting, not a coincidence. This isn't a coincidence. You know what? Spiritual warfare is going on and a believer who's thinking seriously is going to know, hey, there is more to this than meets the eye. That's not just a glitch in media. No, the devil's fighting God's word going forward. Hey, we need to think seriously. But then third, we need to think confidently. Man, I can know that I'm saved. I don't have to wake up tomorrow and doubt it. Man, I don't have to wake up tomorrow and doubt my salvation. No, when I get up tomorrow, I can know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am in Jesus' hand and he's in the Father's hand and no man's gonna pluck me out of the Father's hand. And that assurance that Peter wrote about uh, that we saw last week, hey, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You can think actively, think seriously, and think confidently. Why? Because you have salvation. Your salvation should change how you think about things. Belonging to Christ, it changes how I think about this life. And it changes what I think about trials. Remember the context. Peter's writing to people saying, hey, you can be strong in suffering. When you and I go through suffering knowing that there is something bigger than what we see, that I can, I can think through this and understand that God is in control. I can be confident that God has a plan. Man, knowing who I am in Christ, it changes my thinking. Too often we are reactive thinkers, aren't we? We allow an unexpected situation or information. We allow that to affect our thinking. And this is not what should be happening. For the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, we should activate our thinking. Gird up the loins of your mind. We should be serious, be sober. And we should hope to the end, be confident in Christ and what we have because of him. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter three. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Hey, as a believer, of, a follower of Jesus, once you know Christ, it refocuses your mind. Now my focus is in heaven. Now I'm thinking actively and seriously and confidently. I'm not just going through the time. I'm not just going through my days. No, I have a very focused thinking through the day. I see today, tonight, that my, my salvation, who I am in Christ, it changes what I think about it refocuses my mind, but I want us also to see that since I'm saved, salvation, it realigns my heart. It realigns my heart. You know what this does? Salvation changes not only how I think, but salvation, it changes how I live for God. If you were to go to chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, we read these words. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, in all manner of conversation, 
Now, the word conversation here, it's not just what we speak about. It means in all manner of life, in every manner, in every aspect of your lifestyle, be holy. As it is because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Paul is, or Peter is writing, and he says, since you know Christ is your Savior, you have a, you become an adopted child of God. Look at verse 14, as obedient children. You see that? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Hey, um, that, that verse number 14 is simply saying, that kind of tag along with the thinking in verse 13. Your thoughts shouldn't go back to what you used to be. No, now you're an adopted child of God. And since, now this is the thought, since you're an adopted child of God, you should have some character traits of God in your life. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We are God's children. You know what? Holiness is in our very nature in Christ. Oh, not in the flesh that we were born with and that sin nature that was crucified with Christ. No, it's in the holy nature of God himself. Holiness is in our nature and we are his children. We have his nature. Salvation brings with it the natural character traits of the Holy Spirit of God. You think about relationships and uh, family genes, Think about that family gene. Certain people kind of look alike. Those of you that were on our live stream this morning and Brian got up with his dad and people are commenting, I mean, they kind of look alike. Well, you know why Brian looks like his dad? It's because it's his dad. It's kind of the way it is. There's different traits. Sam doesn't look like anybody. We think he's adopted, uh, but I'm just kidding. He's in here too. Uh, you know what? Those different traits and genes, they kind of pass on. You might see somebody walking down the street and you say, oh, well, Man, they look alike. They've got to be related. It's amazing how people who maybe they've never even met, if they're family, sometimes they look alike. Back in March, I was able to travel back with our youngest son, uh, with Micah, to Washington, D.C. And while we were there, we got to meet a, a, a distant cousin of ours. And he might even be watching now, but we got to meet a distant cousin and, and we went to uh, the Museum of the Bible together and just spent some time together getting to know each other. And, and uh, of course, this is a relationship that we found just through one of those DNA testing things that he did and found out he's related to us, last name Fountain and all of that. And we were sitting down at lunch and we commented about his family. He said, oh yeah, I've got a nephew who's about 15. And he took out his phone and he showed me a picture of his nephew. When he showed me that picture, I went, wow, that looks exactly like my nephew who's 15 years old. And I pulled out the picture and we put those two pictures side by side. And I'm not exaggerating to say they looked like they could have been brothers. And yet they're a distant relationship. Hey, those family genes kind of carry over. I think about my family, uh, certain character traits and things that my dad has that I have and certain character traits that my mom has and my sister has and my sister's daughter has. Uh, one of those character traits, they'll love me telling you this tonight, but when they all laugh, they snort the same. They all snort the same. My mom will snort, my sister will snort, and then my niece will snort. And maybe they won't like me telling you that, but there's character traits. What I'm getting at is this simple thought that the genes in our family are kind of passed down. Well, the same is true spiritually. That when we trusted Christ as our Savior, we got the nature of Christ. That means that his holiness 
we can be holy as he is holy. We are his children. We have his nature. But what we need to see tonight is that holiness is not something that we arrive to. It is a choice that we make to allow to be, uh, and allow to, be shown up, to show up in our life. You know, since we know Christ is our Savior, <clears throat> what salvation does is it, it realigns our heart with his heart. It realigns our motives with his motives. It realigns that purpose with his purpose. It realigns the desire of holiness to be his desire of holiness. But can I tell you tonight that holiness, again, it's not something that we kind of arrive at. Well, the longer I'm saved, the more holy. No, holiness is just simply a a choice that we make to let let that character trait be identifiable in our lives. And did you know that God's given us a great example of his holiness? Matter of fact, we know that holiness is exemplified for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus showed us what it means to be holy. Gave us that perfect example, be ye holy as I am holy. He gave that perfect holiness to emulate in the person of Jesus. And we see Jesus' life showing us what holiness was and also what it was not. You see, too often, uh, the holiness that we brag about, the holiness that we think is holiness, you know, well, uh, um, that, that holiness is closer to the holiness of the Pharisees. You see, what we think is holiness is often um, the holiness that Jesus denounced, that external holiness. Well, I'm holy because I, I dress a certain way, or I'm holy because I do this, or I go here, or I don't do that. No, that's not holy. Holiness is an inner decision. It is a character trait that then is exemplified in our life. You see, the Pharisees, they thought they were holy because they had the external taken care of, but what Jesus say to them, he said, hey, on the outside, you're, uh, you, you look good, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. Hey, the inside, it's corrupt. The inside, it is away from me. Jesus was teaching and helping them to understand the truth, and Peter is with us. Hey, you need to be holy, but that holiness, it starts inside of us. It starts when I realign my heart. It starts because I am saved, I can now have the very nature of God. I can have the nature of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we take pride in the external holinesses that we see. But Jesus was not saying, hey, work on the outside, not the end. No, Jesus said, let me change you on the inside and that will flow to the outside. And holiness started in the heart. It was a heart of holiness. And holiness, it is something that starts in the heart and is then reflected in the life. Holiness is not events. It's not uh, we're holy because we're at church or we're holy because I, I read my Bible. Should we be at church? Should we read scripture? Yes, but that doesn't equate to holiness. No, we become holy when we allow our heart to be lined up with his heart. Holiness is realigning that heart to have his character. It's a submissive spirit to be, say, and do exactly what Christ would want. Holiness happens in every moment of our life and salvation when I know who I am in Christ. Hey, I belong to him, so I want his heart in my life. It is going to realign my heart. What does salvation do? Well, salvation, it it, it realigns my heart. Salvation, it refocuses my mind, refocuses my thinking. But I want you to see thirdly tonight, since I'm saved, salvation, it helps me reverence my God. Salvation helps me to have the right reverence for my God. Notice verse number 17. 
Verse number 17 through 21, here's what we read. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of person judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter's writing here and he's saying, hey, since you have God in your life as your father, you can go through your life, pass your time of sojourning here, pass your time of life in fear. The fear it's talking about is a reverence for him. This is not a a fear, again, of of being scared or of being uh, fearful. Oh, no, I'm afraid of what he's going to do. No, this fear is a loving reverence toward the Father. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you got that relationship with God, and your relationship with God actually changed. You see, before you're saved, before you know Christ, James tells us that we are at enmity with God. That means that we are an enemy of his. But when I get saved, Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter, uh, um, yeah, eight, verse number 15, as we heard on Thursday night, a great message by, brother, by Pastor by, uh, Brian. What a great message that was, talking about the trade that was made. And when you look at the message that Pastor Brian spoke on, on Thursday night, We understood this, that God made a great trade. What was the trade? Man, it was my sinfulness for his holiness, his righteousness. Well, what'd that do? That brought me into a relationship with him. I'm I'm given, Romans 8, the relationship where he becomes my father. Abba, father. Abba, my dear father. So here's the thought tonight that when you receive Christ, Your relationship went from enemy of God to child of God. Well, what does that do? Well, that causes me to reverence him. That causes me to love him. But I want you to see tonight that Peter helps us understand that you don't really reverence, listen, you don't really reverence God well if you don't remember what salvation cost. Verse number 18 Hey, for you know that you, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things. The word redeemed here is an interesting word because it, it has to do with being bought back like a slave. Now, we think of just redemption and just salvation there, but Paul, Peter is writing, he's writing, remember, he's writing to Gentile believers and to Jewish believers, and these two verses connect with both. To the Gentile believers, many of them would know uh, much about slavery, in Rome at the time, there would be at least, they, they estimate about 6 million slaves. 6 million slaves. Slavery was just rampant there, running rampant there. And, and uh, it was very widespread in the Roman Empire. And so uh, Peter writes, hey, listen, when you got saved, you weren't redeemed with silver and gold like you would buy a slave back. It didn't just cost monetary. No, it cost the precious blood of Christ as a lamb that was slain. Now he's connecting to the Jews. They would know about Passover and about the sacrifices and about all of the different uh, uh, lambs and sacrifices that would be made. 
And so he's connecting with both of them saying, hey, it was a great price that Jesus paid for you and I to have salvation. And when we understand that, when we comprehend that, it is going to change how we feel about God. It's going to change how I think about God. And that's what salvation does. Salvation changes how I think about God. It changes that fear and reverence truly happens again when you value your salvation. And so here's what Peter is writing about. He's saying, hey, you need to understand that this wasn't a a, a debit from a bank account. It wasn't an animal sacrifice. No, the very son of God gave his life for you. That should change what you think about him. And so, verse number 17, I can pass my time here. I can pass the sojourning here in fear with a healthy reverence for him as my father. All of, this, uh, all of these truths, they caused me to love and reverence him in a greater way. Hey, I wasn't bought with some simple payment and a credit card. I wasn't bought with jewels. No, I was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when I reflect upon this and I think about it, it causes me to have a greater love and a, a greater reverence and a greater appreciation for my salvation. And in verse 20 and 21, Peter is saying, hey, this wasn't an afterthought. No, this was something that God did before the foundation of the world. This was something that we don't understand. God wasn't up in heaven when Adam and Eve sinned and kind of scrambling. Oh no, what do I do? No, this was something that since the foundation of the world, God's plan was that Jesus would come and manifest and show the love of God for the entire world. And while you and I don't understand that, we can know it's his plan. And that can change how we think about God because without Jesus, I have no relationship with God. But with Jesus, man, now I can pass the time of my life in a reverence and a respect of him. Why? Because he's my Abba Father. Because I have a relationship with him. And if we're taking uh, time tonight to understand this, then we're understanding that, hey, since I trusted Christ as my Savior, it is going to affect my life. Understanding who I am and my identity in Christ, it is going to affect how I live. Well, how? Well, number one, it changes how I think about life. Number two, it changes how I live for God. Number three, it changes how I think about God. But I want you to notice lastly tonight that since I'm saved, salvation changes how I think about others. Salvation changes my relationship with others. Notice, if you will, our passage, verse number 22. Verse number 22 Excuse me, verse 22, it says this, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Basically, Paul's, or Peter's saying, hey, since you're saved, you have purified, if you read that, you have purified your souls, you've been made right with God in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in receiving Christ through the Spirit, obeying the, uh, the idea of salvation. Unto un, you were saved, you've done this, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Hey, since you're saved, purified, made right with God by obeying the Spirit, the Spirit of God called you. Since you're saved, you can love other believers. You know what salvation does? Salvation changes how I think about others. Salvation gives me a love for other believers. I think some of what Peter wrote about uh, already was probably influencing his mind as he wrote this. 
If you go to verse 18 and verse number 19, he's writing with Gentiles and Jews in mind and slavery, redemption. And I think Peter knew that in that church, in the churches of Rome, in the churches that he wrote to, and in Pontus and Galatia, and all those different places, and in all of early uh, first century Christianity, you know what there probably was? There was probably a little bit of uh, um, prejudice in the groups, right? a little bit of prejudice in the churches. I mean, you think about it, in those churches, you'd have Gentile, Jew, slave, master, and the free man. People from all walks of life, from every ethnic group. And so there would be some prejudices there, a lot of mixed feelings about the different people who attended. Well, Peter writes, hey, when you trusted Christ, it changes how you view, treat, and think about other believers. You can have an unfeigned love. Being saved unto an unfeigned love, simply the word unfeigned, it means without hypocrisy, not hypocritical. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without hypocrisy. Here's what Peter is simply saying. Hey, when you trusted Christ, it changes how you view and what you think about those who are saved. Other fellow Christians, it's gonna change how you think about them and what you think about them. And boy, isn't that true in the churches? And I love our church and I love the fellowship that we have and I love the diversity of Moses Lake Baptist Church. I love the different folks that we have from different nationalities, but just the different lives And in our church family, I can think of of people in our church that, uh, man, are from very different ends of the spectrum. Think of people who have been saved at a very early early age, got saved and grew up in church. And then we have others that, uh, like Mrs. Honeycutt, didn't get saved till she's almost 80. We have people, uh, we've got some, I can think right now, we've got some who have served in law enforcement and others who have been on the other side of law enforcement. And yet as a church family, we can come together and we can get along and we can have great fellowship together. Well, why? Because of salvation. Man, that commonality of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes how I view other believers and it should permanently change that. Did you know that one of the uh, um, telling signs of being a follower of Jesus Christ is the love of other believers? I think about the verse, and I'm going to have the guys put it right up on the full screen right there because I want you to read it with me and see it. Uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Man, it's a famous verse. It's a great verse. And we quote it here often at the church. And and I love preaching the passage in John 13 because Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Oh, loving one another wasn't the new commandment. Here's the new commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Hey, by this type of love shall men know that you're my disciples if you have this type of love one to another. But listen, we can't love each other like Jesus loved us unless we are in Christ. 
This love is a forgiving love. This love is a love that says, you can offend me and I'm not going to get upset at you. This love is a love that says, no matter how you treat me, I'll be kind to you. No matter what you say about me, I'll be kind to you. No matter how you gossip, no matter how you treat me, I will be kind to you and I will show you the love of Jesus Christ. And this is a love that is without hypocrisy. It is a love unfeigned, not hypocritical at all. There's no uh, uh, um, man desire to get what I want in this situation. No, I love you with no hypocrisy, no uh, emptiness. As a believer, we often can struggle with loving other believers like we ought to. But here's Peter writing saying, hey, you can do it. Why? Because you're saved. Salvation brings you and I a, a new relationship with others. Peter's saying, hey, quit putting on the fake mask. Quit putting on the act when you're on stage and taking the mask off when you're backstage. Being a different person you are. Listen, you've been saved. He's given you an unfeigned love of the brethren. You have an opportunity and a privilege to let the love of Jesus Christ flow through you. Why? Because you are in Christ. Your identity in Jesus, it changes how you love and how I love other people. Now tonight, I want us to close by thinking about all of these thoughts in the context of the book of 1 Peter. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? I'm glad you asked. Let's remember, Peter is writing to Christians about suffering. You can be strong in suffering. And so here's the thought. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you know you're saved, it changes how you think. You can think actively, seriously, confidently. It changes your heart. My heart says, I want a holiness like he has. It changes my reverence. I have a relationship now that says, I'm not afraid of God. I instead revere him and I stand in awe of him. And it changes how I think about and how I view other people. And listen, for the Christian who's going through suffering, all of that brings a brand new dynamic to things. Why? Because now as I go through suffering, I don't, have to, I don't have to walk through that suffering with my mind going a million miles an hour in a million different directions. No, I can think seriously. I can activate my thinking to know God is in control. And there's something bigger here than what I see. And I'm confident that God has a plan in this. It's going to realign my heart. God, even though I'm going through suffering, would you still help me to be holy? Help it to be a holiness that flows out of my life. God, help me as I go through suffering. Help me to fix my eyes upon you and be in awe of who you are and what you have for me. And as I go through suffering, man, I'm not looking at other believers in jealousy. No, I'm looking at them thinking, man, I love them. Man, we're, we're on the same side. We're on the same team. We're on the same family. It changes that relationship. You see, because if I know who I am in Christ, it changes things. And so tonight, I just want us to understand that when we know who we are as a child of God, it'll affect every area of our life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.